welcome back to the Whole Topic Podcast. This is episode seven. And today we are talking about um, butchering 101. Like if you're a homesteader, I, I'm a part of a a mom's group I just joined on Facebook. It came up and it was very intriguing to me. Um, and it's a bunch of homesteader moms. And there's over 50, I think close to 50,000 people in that group, which tells you how many people are starting to realize they need to know their food source or just wanting to go back to doing things the way great-grandma did because the benefits of doing it I mean it's not always the easiest thing but it also is very rewarding so today we are going to talk about butchering 101 and I am at McDonald's again it should be my last time this season I have to be at McDonald's so don't judge my coffee because I don't want to use the internet for free um, supporting local yes <laughs> So Ariel, actually, Ariel, can you tell us what you do with chickens? I know you kind of have a side business that you kind of work with people. Tell tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, My husband and I run a um, custom exempt butchering business and we do mobile butchering as well. Normally we deal with poultry sales, um, but every now and again, we'll do a custom larger livestock order. And we do this on the side to make extra income. Yeah. Yeah. And do you ever do any classes? Yeah. Yeah. We teach, we teach other people how to do it. And we were advised not to do that because then they're like, well, you're losing business, but no, I'm creating a sustainable community who can grow and process their own food. Yes. But there's a whole category of people that don't want to do it. So yep. I will gladly do it for those that don't want to do it. But for those that want to learn how to do it, we're going to show them how to do it. Yeah. So. And yeah. we've talked about even that, like with our home said, people want to learn things. And if you're willing to teach something, like, I don't know about anybody else, but like, I will buy a course yeah. for $250 to learn something really well. And I mean, that's another business opportunity. Yeah. If, you, if you're teaching someone else how to do it, then therefore teach, because the goal is to eventually teach our friends and family how to, how to, you know, make things work for themselves. If you need food, this is how you get it, even if it's yeah. kind of gross. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 okay. So just to be real here, I have not butchered chickens. In fact, the last time butchering chickens is going down, I was not a part of it because I had been on bed rest during that time. Yeah. And so even when I was supposed to help with chickens, our friends, yeah, our friends ended up doing it. However, I did do deer. I remember for some reason, people thought it was awesome to bring deer to our house at 12 a.m., which it just seemed, why was it always at 12 a.m.? So we're up until three or four o'clock stripping a deer mm-hmm. and doing all the things with it. So I had done that. I've gutted fish, but I've never done a chicken. So really? I'm actually excited to learn a little bit from you too. Yeah. So pretty intuitive once you get in there. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You just, I mean, my little girls loved it, which is almost concerning because they love ripping the, you know, doing the innards and all that. Like, oh yeah. Oh the really? Kids are, the kids are so fun. Okay. So let's jump into this. Sure. I guess something that, a question that I know comes up a lot is like, what kind of chicken is actually maybe the best chicken or using for meat birds uh, and maybe even hitting on some chickens that could do both because some people sure. might want a dual chicken where they can use one for length eggs and then one for the same bird for butchering so sure. what are some different bird recommendations you have 
if you want a fast growing bird that's going to fill your freezer with the most amount of meat um, in the shortest amount of time, that's your Cornish cross. Those are the white birds that everybody says are, are meat birds and half of the people think they're disgusting and they lose their feathers on the bottom on the chest because they end up getting so heavy so quickly that they just sit and their feathers rub off. So, and, and if you're not, if you're not pasture raising them and you've got them in a confined area, they get really poopy and gross and people just think they're gross chickens, which those are the chickens that you're going to get in a grocery store. Um, unless it's organic and it says it's a different kind of chicken, the Cornish cross is what you're eating from the grocery store. Um, the other kind of bird that's very popular are Rhode Island Reds or Freedom Rangers. And those are for the people who want to get away from the Cornish crosses usually. Um, they take a little bit longer to raise, but they're still a really good meat bird. Um, they don't eat quite the same as the Cornish cross. They'll forage a bit more and scratch more. They get up and run around a bit more. But again, if you pasture raise your Cornish, you can get them to the point where they're scratching as well. Um, so those two birds are the, the main birds that you're going to see for people who are growing chicken to fill their freezer. If you're looking at the people who are trying to grow chicken sustainably, they're going to look into the multi-breed birds like um, Wyandots, Buff Orpingtons. Um, there's a list of a few others if you Google them. Meat birds or dual layer, layer and meat bird varieties. And through the years, we've tried a whole bunch of them as a sustainable bird. I think they're all great. The ones that are fast meat growers and can lay also, I liked every single variety that we had. I didn't feel like one was like above the rest. Um, they were all good layers for us. So we never had a problem with them laying. And that should really, but that's because we're consistent with the type of feed, the amount of protein, how much pasture they get. We rotate them, like all of the scenarios. So, okay. so those are the varieties that we normally see. Okay, so we have Buff Orpington, and he chose those because they're dual-purpose bird, um, and yeah. we really, we really liked having them. I do like the more colorful birds, but they're not convenient right now. Yeah, because we're, you know, as we're just getting off the ground here for the last two years. But that's definitely yeah. been. I mean, their meat's good, and we've also yeah. eaten our guinea hens. I know. Yep. That's kind of mean, but we're no, eating our guinea delicious. Hens. They yeah. are good, and it's if you have never tried a guinea hen, they are. Um, basically all brown meat like yeah that's at least it's in our experience yeah however guinea eggs which i'm very proud of this fact has 20 grams of protein in it really 20 grams of protein i did not know this egg. so wow i know that doesn't have anything to do with butchering but seriously well it's good for you that's amazing yeah so as opposed to six to seven grams and a chicken egg you have 20 grams so we're we're doing we're doing 15 more this year of Good. guineas and some for meat and some for if you're mean you're just meat so mean right. equals meat so hopefully right. we'll balance out and not have too many yeah. mean ones the neighbor down the road just built a barn so that he could raise quail and um we've done we haven't done all the different kinds of processing on different birds i've done pheasant and turkeys and chickens and all kinds of chickens, but I haven't done quail. And that one's my next one to really try because it, this is interesting. You'll like this. The proteins in quail eggs are different 
than the proteins in other fowl eggs. So if you have an egg allergy, a lot of people can stomach the quail eggs. I've heard that. Because the protein is different. Isn't that fascinating? That is very interesting. And they're very small. Yeah. I've heard people will do them because they like the size of the meat and they cook quicker. Oh, yeah. For a family of eight, that seems very inconvenient to me. But it, I mean, yeah. if we want to eat eight birds in one meal, <laughs> we'll go for it. But I, that's interesting because I we do have a friend that's Personal bird. Right. You'll have and a personal, personal bird. bird. Every, every kid's plate. <laughs> Who needs a gourmet restaurant when you can just yeah. do that? Okay. So let's go to the next question. Sure. Let's say someone's just going to buy a regular chicken. They don't really care about the fast growing chicken. They just want to buy a regular chicken. How long should someone kind of expect to have to raise a chicken before they can butcher? Eight weeks. Okay. And then what's the average weight for that? And can they go longer if they wanted the bird to be a little bigger? This is, these are good questions. So eight weeks, depending on, it depends on the feed and how often you feed them. Are you giving them continuous feed overnight? At some point in their life, you should think about taking it away. There are calculators online that show you the feed to, to age ratio, how much feed you should be feeding them every day um, to get your bird to optimum size. I think the perfect bird size is five to six pounds. That's my personal preference. A six pound bird is a big bird. That's a yes. lot of meat. It won't easily feed a family of four, probably a family of five twice. I think you can get two to three meals out of that bird if you do that. Our family of four uses a six pound bird and I can get, because I'm nitpicky about it, I get four, four meals out of it. And that's including the bones and everything, you know, and using scrapings of the chicken after you boil it. Like it's, all there. Um, now you can grow them out longer. You're risking health issues when you grow them out longer. So, I also but, found that meat gets tougher the longer. Guys, and I hate that. The longer yeah. that it sits, it just feels like it gets yeah. so tough. Yeah. And well, did you ice them down right away? I think they did. I mean, yeah. it was freezing out the day we did it anyway. Yeah. But I think they did. We had some people that came and helped us do it. And so I'm pretty sure they did. But okay. the buff orchids, especially, I think we did them at like 18 or 20 weeks, which was oh, you did the kind buffs. of a long time. Yeah. So and those I are wondered... going to be tougher. Yes. Be just because there's, they're not like Cornish. Cornish is like butter on your mouth. It yes. just is so they tender. They melt in your mouth. Yes. Yeah. They're so delicious. Um, but some people find their flavor bland. And half of that's the feed you're feeding, right? Yes. And because they aren't scratching and yes. they're not eating better foods. So you can I, augment your flavors. Okay. And I guess that would lead to the next question is like, okay, so this is going to be kind of a two-part question. Yeah. What kind of feed would you give your chickens? And is fermenting more beneficial? Like we ferment our chicken feed. One of the reasons is, well, it's good for their gut. But the second reason is um, it goes further. Like yeah. they eat less because they're getting a lot of their, also their liquid and stuff through that. So yeah. if someone just wanted to feed their chicken grain, what kind of food would it be best? And if they wanted to ferment it, what are the benefits of doing that? So, so there is a protein ratio that I believe in that you should be looking for in your blends. I think you should get away from all commercialized feed and you should go with a local feed source if you can. Try to find a greenery. Try to find somebody that will grow it. You can custom blend. You can mix yourself at home. You can buy organic sunflower seed and organic 
grains and all these things and you can make your own custom mix um those are the ones that i would do but if someone's already doing it and willing to do it for you and you can get it for a good price go to them and support them um fermenting is the way to go i know i don't always get to get to it um sometimes we forget and that's okay but it takes all the powder and the dryness out and so you're not wasting as much feed because half of that gets scattered and blown. It does. And Chickens are the worst. Yeah. Yeah. It goes everywhere. So if you can wet it down, not like, not like a slurry, but like a thick pancake batter is, is a good one. And uh, we just talked to a guy yesterday because we were butchering down, butchering down South for somebody. And he was talking to us about, you know, the waste that was happening because, but he'd never heard of fermenting his grains. Yep. So that was all news to him. He was like, what? Like yeah. I leave it overnight. I was like, actually you should leave it for like two to three days. Let yeah. it really get some culture in there. And yeah. he was like, really? I was like, yeah, and it's good man. for their gut and everything. Like we noticed our chickens ate a lot less when we yeah. started fermenting, but also, um, Stephanie, who's not here today, she's in Hawaii making us all jealous, Lucky duck. but <laughs> she actually told me that if you take, um, a little, so say you're starting a new bucket. Yeah. Take about a cup from your, your yes. already started bucket and it will help your other bucket like ferment faster yeah. if you're like in need of it. But yeah, it definitely cut back on so much waste that we were seeing yeah. with our chickens and it's That's just awesome. good for their gut. Yeah. So, and what do you think about scraps? Like, is there, okay. So I heard the average American family gets rid of about 50 pounds of scraps per week. Yeah. That's a lot of scraps. It is. Yeah. You know, so I'm, for us, something that has been really cool to see on the homestead is like normally that probably would have gone in the trash can if you were you know in the city or like because you know even though my kid like I want them to eat sometimes they're yeah. not going to eat so yeah. we've been able to take pretty much everything we have for any sort of scraps yeah. we take our rotten milk or sometimes our whey we've even fermented our grain with whey yeah. um, from our cheese making which I know not everyone has access to, but this is just telling you like how much you probably have yeah. from your chicken, like from your table scraps that you can feed your chickens. And when we started doing that, oh my gosh, they eat even less yeah, feed. of the feed. Yeah. So it just, it saved us a lot of money that we've been lucky enough to have a local grain, like feed place here that actually does organic feed oh sweet um and they're like 15 minutes from our house so that's been super helpful but what is your nice. is there anything chickens should not have um, um for table scraps yeah but uh, i don't know my mom's gonna be angry at me for saying this i don't think they care i think the chickens will do just fine with anything even the things that technically are poisonous to them okay. we've thrown literally everything including the things that they have aren't supposed to eat out there to them and they either avoid it or they take a taste and they realize this isn't for me yeah I just and wouldn't they give will them do that yeah and I a lot of creatures will I feel like it's instinct I do like, that <laughs> yeah like you taste it and you're like this is That's bad for me yeah no <laughs> um but just the really really moldy stuff like I've thrown out mold to them but not not deep dark mold yes but then yes. we have, to, we personally have to measure the balance of, okay, how much scraps are going to go towards the chickens and then how much of the scraps are going to go towards the compost. Mm -hmm. So, but they kind of work in harmony because we throw it out to the compost and the chickens just go there anyway. 
So they're so pooping all over the Why Why we're on this compost thing, I know this is a little off topic, but I think it has something to do with this is, do you, when you compost, do you only put um, like vegetables and fruit scraps, or do you actually put food that you would cook off your table in there as well and just keep stirring everything in? I put everything in my compost pile. Everything. I try not to put the bones mm-hmm. in there because it attracts the bear. Um, the bear. And, and some of the local coyotes. Yep. Um, so we have a drop pit in the back for bones and carcasses and stuff because we process a lot of meat. Um, but in the regular compost pile, we do the manure from the sheep, from the pens, manure from the chickens. We layer it, and in that is all of their straw and bedding. So, and then we add food scraps, and then we add wood chips, and then when I go, when we we keep turning it and aerating it, and that's kind of like key and watering it down. These are all keys to making good compost. Mm-hmm. Check the temperature, make sure it's hot and it's working, and keep turning it, keep watering it, keep adding layers of things. And then when I'm ready for it, there's this good amount of compost mix, but then I take it, I put it in another barrel, I add all the comfrey leaves that I can, and I chop it up and I add water and it sits as compost tea. That's so awesome. I found that works the best because it's got it's got the manure, it's got all the green materials from the plants. It's got the wood chips, which adds the mycelium to the ground. And that that replenishes like your selenium and and different mm-hmm. things that are missing. So it's just good to have everything. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because I've done some food, but I've stuck more to like um, vegetables and fruit kind of things. But mm-hmm. knowing that you can put more out there, that's actually really good to know. But yeah. so here's another question. Sure. How do you calculate um, how much meat your family would need in a year you use dr google and (laughs) you type in because they already have a calculator online for that um the other way you can do it without using the internet is to literally track your own usage so how much are you how much in poundage you need to get the poundage of how much meat your family is eating of that variety of meat in a week that's comfortable for you and then just do the math out to see how much that would be in a year and factor in also, do you eat more of a certain meat at a certain time of the year? Mm-hmm. So people tend to eat more turkey around November. Just culturally, that's what they do. Um, but maybe you're a hunter and you eat more venison in the fall or you eat mm-hmm. more fish in the spring. So just knowing when you should be having those meats mm-hmm. and you can calculate out, out how much you need. So then I guess that would lead to the next question. Um what are the varieties of meat that you actually outside of butchering chickens and stuff like that what are the varieties of meat that you store up i guess seasonally for each how does that work for your family this is preference based so every family is different and i'm sure it's going to be different for your family we don't eat beef yet and that's because we don't raise beef ourselves um i did do a job one time and i traded for beef like I worked for the beef and that was really cool. It it was nice because like I fed my family. That, that felt good. Like I didn't get money, but I you got fed your family. Yes. Yeah, but I fed my yeah. family. The confidence booster right there. Mm-hmm. I wasn't seeing that one coming. Uh so in the fall we we butcher venison. 
probably turkey during turkey season. Um, not just our own, but like hunting. John goes out and he gets turkey or he gets deer. Um, that meat lasts all year for us. The chickens we do in the early spring and the fall because we just don't like butchering in the heat of summer. Yeah, it's not. I've heard a lot of people say that. Yeah, it's not my favorite. We'll go fishing. I have still yet to catch enough fish in rivers and lakes to put up for my family. We've only been able to do that if we go charter fishing on the big lakes. So I'm kind of disappointed in that aspect. I know it's doable, but we just don't seem to get out enough to do that amount of fishing. And I personally want it canned. So like I want canned trout or bass or bluegill or like I don't carpy. Like I, I don't even care what it is as long as it's kosher and okay. just put fish in my pantry. Mm -hmm. um, what else is there? I went pheasant hunting. That was fun. That put that put meat in the freezer. That was different. And then we butchered lamb because we raised lamb. But you know, people are going to do goat. They're going to do cow. They're going to do any kind of oxen or what else are they going to do? If you're not kosher, you're going to do pig. Yeah. So here's another question. Okay. Okay. First I'll give my opinion on meats because I definitely do more beef. Yeah. Um, we do venison, um, chicken. We do quite a bit of chicken. I yep. love ground turkey. Like that's my jam. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've done lamb like once a year, but yeah. when we start raising them, I know we're going to use those for a little bit more meat. Right. So like you said, it's just a variety. What does your family like and what do you guys eat? Yeah. Um, and making sure that you can fit that into. So what are some ways that yeah. someone can save their meat without, say someone was off grid. Let's go with that. Let's say someone's off grid. They okay. have a desire to go off grid. Yeah. What is something they can do? How can they save their meat without having freezer? Right. Like a giant freezer. Right you're looking at the curing process, the, the smoking and the salting. Um, you still probably should go with cold storage. Like if you have a dugout pit or something, or you're just eating it seasonally and you're not preserving it very much. Maybe you're preserving it right away. Um, we, the kids and I read a book for history last year called the old Osable. it's an old book and it's about a town a couple couple miles south of us and it was a logging town so they're talking about how they traveled the pioneers when they cultivated the land how they came across and how they were feeding themselves as they're traveling to go do this job and they've got a sack of flour on their back and then they would butcher meat on the fly elk deer rabbit squirrel birds anything that they could get and then they would smoke it over the fire and then they'd have that for maybe a week and that that was protein in their belly that fuel to keep them going I just think that's so cool yeah that's and we don't a, do that anymore no and there's this book we've been reading oh gosh I will get the name of it but it has been so good because they talk about like all the things they did way yeah. back when it's, it's like this 15 year old boy's diary Okay. of his life and how he was on a homestead and by 15 he was actually running the entire homestead wow so that he his dad can run the mill on that thing it's it. micah reads it every friday night for family night yeah. 
with nice. kids and like well I'll just sit there and listen to it. it's so interesting so intriguing yeah. so yeah. I guess also just reading books and seeing yeah. what they did way back then to you know preserve I also you can eat probably even canned yeah. meat uh Micah's grandma canned yeah. meat I it was some of the best beef I've ever had it was so tender yeah um she that's opened a good it point she, yeah and she would like roll it in flour and salt and pepper and garlic and then she would like fry it in butter oh my gosh like really that sounds so good right now actually yeah it does so and it was so tender so there's definitely so many ways that you can preserve without having a freezer because we all know if you're going to try to save it doesn't really matter what size family you have if you are going to try to freeze meat you're probably going to need a pretty good size freezer to just put all that in there for a year like a family you got to think about like what happens if the power goes out Yep. How's that going to happen? Yeah. How are you going to deal with that? So, yeah. all right. So if you and I both love bartering, we love supporting the local, like the person who's our neighbor, who's probably going to be there for us. If something goes hard. I mean, we saw in the last couple of years, what happened yeah. when there was just mass control and yeah. you couldn't even get into a grocery. Like some people you had to like literally stand outside and you had to get permission to go in and go grocery shop. You had to like do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I do. I can't believe that people forgot that that happened yes. already. Yes. yes. And so if you don't have a farm or a homestead and you don't have a place for chickens and you don't have a place for any of this stuff, but you have the desire to know where your food's coming from and mm. what's being put in it, how it's being grown. I mean, because we, if you're not seeing it already, if you're not seeing some of the repercussions of mass productions, right? do a little research. Yeah. Don't go insane doing it, but just, just get yourself a little bit more aware of what your family is consuming uh, because health is wealth. Yep. If you can keep your health intact, you are probably one of the most wealthiest people. You never realize how thankful you are for your health until you have a fever or sick and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I was so awesome yesterday Yeah. because (laughs) you didn't think about it. So that leads us to this bartering. If you can't afford to pay someone there's plenty like I know that Micah and I are all about bartering if someone came in and did like either exchanged a good that they had or you know for meat for a chicken like one of one of our friends that I'm getting ready to barter some chicken and beef like she's gonna give me beef and I'm gonna give her chicken yeah and we have that we have that and she didn't even raise the beef I just know where it's sourced and it's very well done she bought it um yeah through someone else that we really trust so if you don't have the things to butcher or homestead or all that stuff, yep. find local people. And I know Ariel, you're super passionate about that as you're trying, your whole farm yeah. is, is geared towards, you know, building community. To, yes. Yeah. A sustainable community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is really hard to do because it's not like it's like the, the easiest thing to convince people that they should stop shopping at Walmart. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so convenient to go there. Everything's fresh. And to be honest, I still shop at Walmart because I can't get oranges in the middle of December when no. my kid breaks her leg and she needs fruit and that's all she wants to eat. Yep. Like, I, So I'm really glad for the modern convenience while we have it. Yes. I need to know that I can rely on my community when stuff hits the fan. <sighs> Who can I barter with? Who's yep. got what? I don't want to necessarily think about the need because this is the other like rabbit trail that people go down. Well, 
I put all this work in and I grew all this stuff and people are, when stuff hits the fan, people are just going to come onto my property and try to take my stuff. And that might happen. Yeah. Maybe you should think about it now and plant a whole lot extra where you can yes. to sustain your neighbors. Yep. Like that's the whole biblical thing about leaving the outskirts of your field for maybe start a community who... garden. With, yeah. We, Mike did and I you... talk about that. Did you do that? Well, we planted a garden with our fellowship and Mike and I were talking about is like, you know, if we get what we need, we need to make sure the community gets it. But I think if we actually make yeah. it an entire community garden, it's the community garden for our fellowship, for our like little community area. Nice. However, yeah. if we can do something like that and get people in there and yeah. if you, you know, bring seeds or if you can't bring seeds, just come help plants. Yeah. Just you have access to it. Yeah. Like that's one way you can slowly start feeding your community um stephanie and i have even yeah. talked about teaching cooking classes here in our area yeah um, for kids actually yeah um not that moms don't need it to some of them but the, it doesn't the next matter yeah the your next kids. generation is gonna need to yeah. see that whole foods could be good and, and taste yeah. good and stuff like that but yeah. i think just being willing to find your neighbor who's doing the milking and butchering the beef and taking care of the chickens the things that you're probably yeah. going to need a lot of are raising the vegetables yeah. find them now yeah and get to know them and get to know their process and yeah. um figure out how you can contribute whether it be paying them some yeah. of us can pay them yeah um or a resource you can that they're in need of yeah that you can provide you and i both and your family is the one that turned me on to this we both play Catan pretty regularly yes um I had to get the expansion pack because my children needed it mm -hmm. um needed it. but if they needed, if it. They needed <laughs> it but if you don't know this game or what I'm talking about Catan is a resource bartering game and yep. you have things like hay sheep um brick wood and you build your own communities and you get more resources because you're on those resource lands and you learn how to trade and barter well, if you don't have a resource and you can't think of anything that you have personally to barter with, go outside to God's green earth because he's making your resources, yes. you know, um, become a forager. Wow. It takes nothing for you to learn a little bit about plant identification in your area. Like I just went out today and I picked all the spruce tips. I've got like five different types of um, evergreen trees as a barrier right next to my house. And they were all putting off their new shoots. And I was on Instagram the other day and I saw this lady dipping spruce tips in dark chocolate huh. and putting some sea salt on them. And I was like, that's my new snack. That's I want snack. that. <laughs> yeah, I need that. So I went out and I picked a whole bunch, but then there was the blue spruce tree right next to it. And I was like, I wonder what those taste like. And I know there's like one or two that you can't eat. This is part of the identifying thing, mm -hmm. but these ones you can. So but I'm wondering, like, that's something that someone might barter with you for, like, or go find a plant and dig it up and be conscious of your area, you know, yes. don't overpick, but, but God already put stuff out there that you can use as a resource. Yes. So even if you feel like you have nothing, there's always something, you just have yep. to go find it and yes. do a little bit of work, yep. but yeah. Yeah. And just, just be just get to know your community. That's really what it yeah. comes down to. Get to know your community. Who's in your community? 
And if you don't have a good community and you have the ability to move to a better community, then do it. Like get your family set up somewhere where you do have access to the things that you know you need, not only for health, but if in cases of a crisis, like it, we have that opportunity. Like yeah. a lot of people do. Some people don't, and I get that, but maybe pray about it. Maybe there will come a season where doors will open and you'll be able to get yourself into a position. Like if you live in a state where raw milk is illegal, yeah. And you really want to be able to have access to raw milk and have access to things that some states ban. Yeah. It might be a cue that you might want to work away from that area and get your family settled into a an area where you have access to the things that are going to be best for your yeah. family's health. Because yeah. I mean that's and like I said, I know some people can't do that. So I'm not I'm not up here being like, sure. I don't care if you can do it or not, you have to do it. I understand people don't have the, all people don't have the ability to do that. But if right. you do, it might be something to think about. Just kind of yeah. think about and like, okay, so do I stay here where I don't have access to the things I know? Like, I know that I know my family needs or yeah. do I start trying to expand and figure out where I can get my family located, where we have yeah. access to friends and neighbors and people we can barter with. Yeah. Um, and I think that comes full circle back around to how you opened this podcast with being a part of that homesteading community that you're mm -hmm. a part of during the pandemic, it was like a giant shuffleboard and everybody just kind of, you saw it all over the United States. And I'm sure it happened all across the world too, mm -hmm. especially with the wars that are going on overseas right now, like, yep. and always, um, yep. but people are shuffling. They're constantly moving. And this was a big shuffle. For this was America. a huge shuffle. A lot. Yeah. Everybody was impacted. I think by yeah. some family member being like, all right, we've seen we've seen what we need to and we're mm -hmm. out like we're gonna yeah. go start yeah and people were sure making we're their priority list they were making yes. their resource list they were playing Catan yes. in real life and they were yep. like these aren't good resources or I can't do this here I need to yeah. move around yeah. so that was really cool that's how Micah and I got to the homestead and um is we just sat down and we're like, are we actually investing in what we want to do? Are we actually investing in what we want our family to be raised in? Yeah. And we made that list. We made that list. And, and, and from that point on, I think it was within a year and a half, we yeah. had sold our house. We traveled um, out West. It was during the middle of COVID, which I, I love traveling during that time because, yeah. um, you know, you weren't stopped by every Barney Fife on the side of the road because you were just traveling. So you ended up, with a lot of freedom to because there were still parks open there was still a bunch of stuff open mm -hmm. um, and it was outdoors but we made that list we made that list and we took the leap of faith to step out into something that was probably a little bit no I'll just say it it was pretty scary yeah because we had never done anything like this and now two years later like we are we have our chickens we have our cows we're talking about goats now and sheep our yeah. house is almost finished yeah um to the point before the addition, but yeah. just, it's okay to take that leap of faith, really sit down with your spouse, if you're married or just yourself, if you're not and decide, okay, so what is my end goal? Where would I like me and my children to be, or just myself to be in, in this amount of time? Um, yeah. And just throw it around, like at least consider it. Like it's something yeah. you have the ability to do. Yeah. And don't get bogged down by the journey. Cause yes. that's what it is. Okay. It's going to take your patience and your time and your commitment and your dedication and sweat equity. Yes. Like it's going to take work for you to accomplish what you want to accomplish, but get daily inspiration because that is your motivation. Andrea, I love this about you. You read your Bible every morning 
at the crack of dawn, which is way too early for me of dawn. to be awake. The crack of dawn, but you have coffee. So I have coffee. I and like I have Jesus. Fine. Like, what better company? Jesus. Coffee and Jesus. Do you have that T-shirt? I need it. <laughs> you, I need it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely something that it's. And I know this doesn't have all. I mean, it does because if you're able to butcher, that's great. But if you're not, and you're listening to this episode, and you're like, "Well, this has nothing to do with me." Mm-hmm. Get your goals. Get your. He doesn't give you a desire. He doesn't give you visions for a reason. And I'm, you know, I'm not into this like creepy speaking things into existence but if you have belief he speaks of that highly in scripture like where's your belief like Mm -hmm. and not that just because you believe it you're going to get it sometimes you're believing for things that is not his will so right it really helps to be on the same page with your spouse um like that's some some of the ways we knew things were confirmations for us is we both knew it was the right direction we just started walking and if right. it wasn't then it would work out and we were very blessed by that but if it was then we knew that was the step we were supposed to take right. um but just giving giving yourself lots of grace through it and not being afraid to just make the change making the yeah. change i think is the scariest thing it's like okay i'm getting ready to go buy 40 acres and a dumpster fire of a house that you know infested with snakes yeah in the walls because apparently that was good you know mouse control said no one ever except for this person Uh so but it's it's literally the best thing we ever done and I was trying to think of that quote that I heard where it was like um don't get to the end of your life a lot of people that okay so that's what it was a lot of people that get to the end of life they don't regret the things they did do the regrets things they didn't do Mm. so don't get to the end of your life and realize you know I should have I should have would have could have I wish if you feel like you're supposed to be doing something do it yeah (laughs) do it if you can do it yeah so that's my inspiration for now I like that and that's your inspiration to people who are starting the homesteading journey because you're fresh into this and you've got like that that direct insight into yes this this is different this is change yeah and it's beautiful like it's I will say this it's not I'm not going to be like wow it's so easy but it's so fulfilling yeah it's one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done and simplicity doesn't always mean easier sometimes simplicity just means slowing down Mm -hmm. and having your little kids around you as you're milking the cow or feeding the chickens and having them share in the the sim- simple slowness that that brings mm-hmm. I wouldn't trade it for anything like and I am city mm-hmm. girl 101 like mm-hmm. you know New York City is like if I, I love looking down on the city and being like oh, it's so beautiful mm-hmm. but I would not trade the life that us and our kids have now for being yeah. and you don't need 40 acres you can do it on an acre and a half or two acres whatever you can get right. your hands on you can do it you can do it wherever you're planted but yeah I wouldn't trade it for anything it's definitely been as challenging though it had had its challenges Mm -hmm. for sure so so to end this out I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts it's the farmstead uh, meat smith Mm -hmm. is is his business but he has a podcast that he does with his wife called the meat smith harvest and so I was on like episode 84 part two they just sit and they chit chat about things and I don't know I think they're catholic um, so they, and they're very learned people, they read nonstop. So they're into all kinds of different 
historical accounts of how people used food and prepared food and how it's been through the ages and they bring all that together and I really enjoy their vocabulary it's I had to look quite a few words up <laughs> uh first of all but he said something in this episode that I just I wanted to repeat here and it's this farming is restorative farming is a divine obligation and debt to God to the God of creation whom we have offended. It is a deeply and an eternal reparation with grace. And he went down this path of, of how restorative the act of caretaking for the land and animals and butchering and the whole cycle of the life and death and creation and using resources, how all of it's to our soul very restorative it's mentally calming i can yeah. honestly say that it's mentally calming yeah. to take care of the land and take care of animals like that yeah it's yeah it hurts like and that's a thing that is a big obstacle for at least a lot of the women that i meet teaching classes and doing this for others is there's the financial the equipment the how to are you doing it with food grade safety um, but then the biggest issue that I run into for people is their ethics. They're like, this hurts me. I can't eat this animal after I just killed it. I can't bring myself to kill this animal. Once you get to the other side of that and you've done it a few times and you take the time in your spirit to experience it and wrestle with it and go find God on it you come out in a different place yeah. um, and you'll find other people who are there as well. They're very easy to spot. Their spirit is different. You know, mm -hmm. it's um, they've found something, a connection to something. And I think there's a wrong way to do it for yes. sure. And I think a lot of people know that there is an evil way to handle the care of livestock. Yes. For us personally, doing things in a kosher way, in a biblical way, I believe there's a wrong way to butcher and and that's not getting all the blood out or not cooking it so that there's yep. blood still in it just because the Bible says that's the life force of the animals. Yes. Don't eat it. I think like it. that you're, you're right about the care of the animals. Like a lot of these big factories that are manufacturing animals like crazy. Mm -hmm. Like Micah and I talked about, we won't treat our animals that way. It doesn't matter. Like, okay, unless you're a naughty rooster. No, I'm kidding. Unless you're a naughty rooster. <laughs> unless you're a naughty rooster. No, <laughs> then but we like, kick you. Then, <laughs> then you're eating for dinner. Yeah. yeah. No, but like just making sure that you're respecting them as animal too. But also yeah. like, I do know a lot of people that are not for me. And yep. I can understand it. And I don't, I don't judge people that feel that way because like there's certain things I feel right now that I might change later on, or I might not yeah. change. And that's just how I feel. Yeah. However, there is a lot of nutrition and meat that you can't get from anything else. Like there's, yeah. you just can't, there's no way anybody can convince me otherwise. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if you're that person that's like, oh gosh, we just bushed that. There's been times where I won't do certain yeah. things. So I don't have to see the process of it. So maybe that's you and you just need to let your, your person take care of it. And yeah, just go make your chicken soup and call it good. And yeah, everybody's happy with that arrangement. Yeah, but just it is very true. You have to be careful with them, and you have to know the process and 
Yep. What? And I will say I've found a pattern. It tends to get better for those who go through it and it's their first time butchering an animal or it's their first time butchering this new kind of animal. Like maybe you've always butchered chickens and you're fine with it now, but now you have to butcher a cow or, or lamb. And just the thought, once you get that meat in the freezer and Thursday comes and you got to make lamb roast or something, just Mm -hmm. the thought while it's, while you can smell it wafting and then you think back to its life and you're like, I can't bring myself to eat this right now. I don't know when I'll be okay to that feeling I've experienced and with, with the others that I have observed through this process after years and years, it gets easier. It, I honestly feel like that's your soul shining through. That's your humanity. And that's a wonderful sign that you have that it gets easier. Yeah. But I couldn't stomach the first lamb that we butchered ourselves. I could not, it took me three months to eat it. Yep. And my husband and I don't, was like, I don't are you ever going to eat this? Yeah. And I don't agree with so killing animals just to kill animals. Like if they're, right. if they're food and you're nurturing your family, by yeah. all means do what you need to do, but don't just go around killing things. Killing things to yeah. Kill them. I, I think that's, that's sport. Right. That's sport. There's a yeah. whole group of people that do it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's something like Micah and I've talked about. It's like, we're, we're not just going to take part in that. Like if we need yeah. something, we're going to do it. And we're going to have to, especially yeah. if our families, you know, they need the nutrition and they need the food. Yeah. Which basically that's all we live for. We all live yeah. to feed our families and make sure they're taken care of. Like that's right. Who's not living to feed their families. Right. So this yeah. is just, this is the way that we've chosen to feed our families. And yeah. I know thousands of other people are choosing to do it now that these days this way. And it's so cool to me. It's yeah. such, it's a, um, oh, what do you call it? When you're talking about, it's a resource. If you can learn how to do this and you can learn how to barter with other people, it's an untouchable resource. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost a currency of its own mm-hmm. that is untouchable because mm-hmm. you can't condemn someone for trading food with each other. You can't condemn someone. You can't, you know, how are you going to text? Like, oh, I traded lunch meat for cheese or yeah. you, know, you can't do that. There's not enough no. Barney Fife's around to do that. Yeah. So just making sure that you keep that in mind. You're feeding your family and this is a currency that is almost untouchable if you can do it the right way. Yeah. And to be aware of the times you're living in. Mm-hmm. The government just did a huge step in for your food. Yep. Your meat, Bill Gates just bought up and he is now the largest landowner, landowner of farm in the United States. Bill yep. Gates is. Yeah. Um, be wary about your grocery stores and what they put in the meat. Be wary about meatless meats. And That's vegetables, even vegetables. And vegetables. Like they're now oh, saying food. it's easier to do some of these things with vegetables that like that they're trying to put into vegetables. It's like oh, like putting injections into the mm-hmm. into the lettuce and stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that. just be aware and do your best. Do it in small bites. How do you eat an elephant? Well, we don't one eat elephants, but if you do, yeah. One, one bite, bite at a time. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. well, this was a very good podcast. I yeah. really enjoy talking and it is going to be on the longer side. So if, if you're up for, yeah. um, a butchering homesteading podcast, listen. yeah, you're definitely going to want to listen to this and hopefully it encourages you if you're on the fence about how to do things, or if you should even start a, a homestead or if that's a direction, maybe your family needs to go or finding mm-hmm. your people in the community. So hopefully this was helpful and, um, answered any questions or, 
I'm sure there's going to be more questions on the topic. Yeah. But... And if you have questions or thoughts, you can always reach out to us. We yes. love hearing questions and we'll probably do another episode and talk more about meats and get yes. into the nitty gritty about some of the things that are happening in the world. So. Yep. yep. So we're going to close this one out and we will see you all on the next episode. You've been listening to the Whole Topic Podcast. To hear more, to see behind the scenes, or to get a hold of us directly, visit our socials, Facebook, and Instagram, The Whole Topic Podcast. If you'd like to hear more from Andrea, visit her blog at dearmark23.com, where she talks about whole foods, whole grains, and whole living. If you'd like to hear more from Stephanie, visit theranchershomestead.com, where she talks about simple living, gluten-free recipes, and farm life. If you'd like to see more from me, visit wildandforagecare.com, where I talk about simple living, wild recipes, and natural remedies. Thank you for listening, and God bless.